This is an 11th grade English class in rural West Virginia. There are only a dozen students in this class. Small class sizes can be one of the benefits of going to school in a rural area. All right, guys, what I just handed you is the rubric for the essay you're going to write next week. Another benefit of going to school in rural America is that high school graduation rates tend to be really good. Here in McDowell County, West Virginia, close to 90% of students finish high school. That's better than the national average. And that's typical across the country. Rural kids are more likely to graduate from high school. But that's not translating into more students going to college. In fact, students from rural areas are the least likely to go to college. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about why and why it matters. From APM Reports, this is Educate, a podcast in collaboration with The Heckinger Report. I'm Stephen Smith, and joining me is John Marcus. Hi, John. Stephen, thanks for having me. John is the higher education editor at The Heckinger Report. He recently co-authored a piece for The Atlantic about why many young people from rural America don't go to college. So, John, how big is the gap, and what is the percentage of high school students from these rural areas that go on to college compared to the national average? So uh, people, when they think about who does and doesn't go to college, off, they often think about urban, uh, non-white urban high school graduates uh, as having the lowest college-going rates. Uh, they don't, actually. White kids in rural areas actually go to college at lower rates. This was a huge surprise to me. Uh, 59% of rural high school grads, uh, white and non-white, and at every income level, only 59% go on to college the fall after they graduate from high school. Uh, that's a lower proportion than urban students and suburban graduates. Has it always been this way, or is this something of a new trend? Well, it has always been this way, but it didn't matter in the past because there were lots of opportunities in rural areas like um, farming and uh, mineral extraction or mining. And as those jobs have gone away, uh, having a college degree has become more important. In states like Iowa, uh, some of the major industries or the fastest growing industries are alternative energy and biotech. And you need a degree for that. But historically, people who lived in rural areas didn't need degrees. Uh, the result of that it was people who graduate from high school in these rural areas don't have role models who themselves went to college other than perhaps their teachers. Uh, and so it becomes a cycle. They don't see people around them that went to college, so they themselves don't consider college. Their parents' uh, surveys show have don't have a great deal of faith in college or that their kids, for that matter, will have better lives than they do. So there's not a lot that encourages them to go on to higher educations. You interviewed a student named Dustin Gordon for your article. Can you tell me a bit more about him and where he's from? Dustin Gordon is a really interesting example of a smart kid from a rural area that uh, only by the skin of his teeth ended up at a, at a major university, and it was a difficult transition for him. He comes from a town called Sharpsburg, Iowa, in southern Iowa. The population of the entire town is 89. So I remember one class, I kind of had to stand up and, you know, present uh, kind of where I'm from, from. And I kind of told him, you know, I graduated with uh, 29, you know, 29 students. And uh, I believe the whole class was just couldn't believe it. I'm like, how is that even how is that even possible? He went to a regional school that was so small, all the grades met in the same building. You know, with small classes, I guess. You know the teachers personally, and if you ever need help or anything, it's the easiest thing to do is to go and get help to where, you know, in college, it's kind of nerve wracking. You know, you have hundreds, hundreds of kids in your class and 
thousands of kids at your school instead of just hundreds of kids in your school. And I think that's that's probably a main reason. I think a lot of rural kids probably don't end up going to colleges. One thing you do point out in your article is that it's not that students from rural areas aren't finishing high school. They do finish high school. Graduation rates are very high in rural areas. They do well in national standardized tests. Um, It's just at the point at which they decide what they're going to do after they graduate that they end up, instead of going to college, working on their family's farm, as many of Dustin Gordon's friends did. Or in Sharpsburg, there's a conveyor belt factory, there's an egg packaging plant, there's a feedlot. And that pretty much sums up the opportunities in Sharpsburg. John, one of the things you point out in your article is that the economies in states like Iowa are shifting towards uh, different kinds of industries than they've had in the past, like information technology, wind energy, healthcare is especially uh, prominent. All of these require post-secondary education. So it seems like the young people who are needed in rural America, uh, it's really critical for them to go to college. Yeah, this is a big problem, uh, not only in rural areas, but all over the country. The um, the rate of college going is not increasing at the at the level that economists suggest we need. Uh, we have a knowledge economy that creates a huge demand for workers with degrees, and we are not producing enough of them. We have a national goal of increasing the proportion of uh, the population with degrees. We're, we're well behind that goal right now. I, I, you know, it's time, I think that some people are beginning to rethink whether we're going to make it. And that puts us at an, uh, uh, a, a competitive disadvantage um, internationally uh, because other countries are kind of turbocharging their higher education systems. And we're seeing declines in enrollment and other problems that portend um, some shortages of workers in the industries in which we're most competitive. Well, we've been talking about a guy, Dustin, from a farm town in the Midwest. What about uh, other uh, sparse places, if you will, like agricultural parts of California, uh, coal mining regions in Appalachia? Is it the same story there? It is a very similar story in those other places uh, where you have, I mean, if it, it, it's the kind of the, uh, the hillbilly elegy uh, world in Appalachia where college going is extraordinarily rare. We found a uh, an organization. It's called the Kentucky Valley Educational Cooperative, and uh, in the heart of Appalachia, that works with uh, students there. My name is Jeff Hawkins. I'm the executive director at Kentucky Valley Educational Cooperative. Well, tell us about Jeff Hawkins. What is his personal story? Why does he care so much about? trying to get young people from Kentucky coal country to go to college. So like Dustin Gordon, Jeff Hawkins uh, was one of just a few kids from his high school who went to and actually finished college. Um, the other kids in his high school went to work uh, or went into the military. I live uh, in the town that I grew up in. It's a little town called Neon, N-E-O-N, spelled just like the gas. It's about 800 uh, folks live there. Um, used to be a lot bigger once upon a time when uh, coal was uh, a driving force in the economy, but it's shrunk a lot since then. And unlike Dustin Gordon, who plans not to go back there because the limitation of opportunity, Jeff Hawkins did go back and runs this Kentucky Valley Educational Cooperative because nothing's really changed since he was there in high school. Uh, Kids still don't go. Uh, And if they do go, they don't stay. So this is his mission. That thought of that coal is going to return at the level that it used to or that um, we're going to recapture some vision of America that may not have existed in the first place, 
is it, it's it's in the rearview mirror, and we're we're just not going to approach it in that way. We think that tomorrow is going to be a better day, and that we have the opportunity to contribute to making it that way. What does Jeff Hawkins's organization? do to persuade the young people in Kentucky that he's working with to consider going to college? How do they, how do they make that value proposition? So the number one thing that, uh, that they do there at the Kentucky Valley Educational Cooperative is they connect those students with college students. Uh, so those students can get some idea, some exposure to someone who did actually go to college. This is the, the biggest void in rural areas. There just aren't a lot of people there that went to college as, as examples for prospective college-going high school grads. Uh, so by bringing in these college students who serve as judges of an entrepreneurship competition, this exposes smart young high school students to college-going and gives them the idea that perhaps they might aspire to a college education. It also connects students from different schools within the districts um, who otherwise might not know each other, who aspire to college, so that when, when and if they go, they might end up uh, on the same campus of a flagship public university, for instance, uh, and they at least know somebody, uh, because coming from a rural area, that's rare. You feel, as Dustin Gordon did, uh, kind of uh, anonymous in a giant campus where you know no one. So um, those are among the things they do uh, there to encourage students to go on to college who otherwise might not. So, John, if rural kids don't see themselves going to college, do the colleges see themselves as places for rural students? How hard are they trying to get these kids from rural high schools to to go to college? So colleges have not historically worked particularly hard to attract rural students. Uh, It's a cost-benefit issue. If you go to a school that has 29 kids in a graduating class and you get one of them, that's a lot of work and a lot of time and probably a lot of driving in these areas uh, for a very low payoff. Now, that has changed because of something else that's happening, which is a decline in enrollment nationally. And that decline in enrollment is driven by just sort of demographic realities that we're producing um, fewer 18 to 24-year-olds. So colleges and universities are reaching out more aggressively uh, for any students, and that includes rural students. One of the things that was interesting in in my experience reporting this story was uh, talking to national advocacy organizations that advocate for non-white, low-income, and first-generation students and asking them about rural students and having them say, oh, no, no, we don't deal with them. Uh, I think that rural students have sort of been invisible. Now, there's also a gender gap here, more girls than boys uh, from high schools in places like Jeff Hawkins's town in Kentucky. They go on to college. Why does that gender gap exist? So women outnumber men in general in college, not just women from rural areas, but, uh, but nationally women now outnumber men by 56% to 44% in enrollment in colleges in general. Uh, there are a number of reasons for that, primarily that we did a really good job encouraging girls to go to college. Um, and we didn't do the same thing with boys because 40 years ago, the proportions were exactly reversed. More men than women went to college. So while we were doing a really good job encouraging girls to go to college, uh, boys were realizing they could get a job, usually doing manual labor labor or retail or something along those lines. And I've met with and talked with men on campuses uh, who talk about their male high school classmates who didn't go to college getting minimum wage jobs somewhere and laughing at them for spending four or five years and a lot of money getting a degree Uh, because they can rightly say, well, I'm making more money than you are right now. Uh, And that's true, but it won't be true forever. 
manual labor also tends to take a toll on people. And uh, a lot of these males who don't go to college at 18 do eventually go back to college. I've spoken to people who run programs at community colleges for men who did not initially go to college out of high school and then went back later. Uh, and um, just because they were sort of broken and beaten up by doing manual work and decided late in life a degree was worth it, uh, in fact. So, John, what needs to change other than the things we've talked about um, in order to get more young people in rural areas to consider college, to consider earning a degree? Well, I think one thing that uh, needs to change is that we have to acknowledge this situation. It was amazing to me as a journalist that, and embarrassing to me as a journalist, that we haven't covered this that this kind of level of alienation and um, uh, disaffection uh, is something that people in cities and suburbs and on the coasts haven't really seen or understood. If you have organizations that advocate for for non-white first-generation and low-income students, as they should, they need to add to another category, which is rural students. Um, We really aren't reaching out to these students, and we're, we're really not providing the kinds of services and programs that other kinds of students get. And, you know, w- this comes back to haunt us um, because it has ramifications politically. It has huge economic ramifications, and we're not paying attention to it. So uh, I think we need to pay attention. Colleges and universities also need to do a better job recruiting students from rural areas, but also as they are also struggling to do for other kinds of underrepresented groups to support those students when they arrive at a university, to understand that rural students don't know anybody and connect them with support groups and support systems and that they're overwhelmed by the size of a campus when they come from a small town and help them through that. Um, so all of those things, I think people are beginning to now talk about, but it's, it's, it's slow going and the rates of college going haven't budged. So um, it's going to take a lot of work. So what about Dustin? Does he plan to go back to that little farming town where he grew up? I think uh, Dustin says his mother wants him to come home, but she realizes that there's not a lot of opportunity for him there. Uh, he's majoring in finance and he has other plans. I always thought it'd be cool to be a financial planner and to help people with their finances and understand that kind of stuff because it's such an important thing, you know, to understand. And, you know, it it could land me back to to rural Iowa, but, you know, for the most part, I kind of would like to be, you know, around more of a a bigger city. He will be moving to Des Moines or uh, somewhere else uh, and doesn't really plan on going back, which, again, is part of this cycle that happens. So that's potentially, if he did go back, he'd be another role model for other students who could see him as a person with a degree. But there aren't opportunities for financial advisors in in rural Iowa. So again, the cycle continues and students continue to graduate from high school without kind of being exposed to college-going adults. John Marcus is higher education editor at The Heckinger Report. You can find his article, The Rural Higher Education Crisis, at theatlantic.com. Thanks so much, John. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. What did this conversation make you think about rural attitudes towards higher education and urban attitudes about rural country? 
And what does it mean for the future economy? Let us know. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Educate Podcast, or you can send us a note to contact at apmreports.org. Next time, we'll go to Mississippi to understand how a state at the heart of the civil rights movement has largely skimmed over it in its history classes. Alex Baumhart produces the podcast. Catherine Winter is our editor, and Emily Hanford is our senior producer. We want to thank our partner, The Heckinger Report, a nonprofit independent news organization focused on inequality and innovation in education. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.